I, I don't know if you guys saw this article going around Instagram. Um, 19 people sent it to me. It's an article from <laughs> The Onion, but it was going around Instagram with the headline. With like, the onion part. Yeah, the off. onion part yeah. was cropped off. So 19 people DM me like, holy shit, did you see that Pfizer is selling a luxury version of the vaccine before the regular <laughs> vaccine. These uh, console pre-order bundles from GameStop are getting really out of hand, guys. <laughs> I mean, twenty thousand just... dollars for a PlayStation Five and one dose of the Pfizer vaccine. <laughs> right. <laughs> and at first, like when I was like, they were like, "Holy shit! Did you see what Pfizer did?" I was like, "Oh, the ninety-five percent efficacy thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. pretty." Pretty weird media. St- I mean, it's very transparent, and they're like, and they're no, like no, 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 this no. one's cold plated. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's kind of funny because, like, whenever we post an episode that has COVID in the title, we get like shadow ban, and there's like warnings that go up with our posts. That's like, this could be COVID misinformation. Right. But our podcast is called Death Panel. So well, but you can see an Onion article just you know socially reproduce itself in the ether. Over and over and over again. No censorship there. Yeah, we need that. Uh, we need that onion status. Whatever they're, whatever like bucket they're in with all of the platforms. We need to figure out how to get <laughs> into that satirical bucket. Okay, I, I think I figured it out. The, the name of this podcast is the Weeds from now. <laughs> <laughs> If you'd like an extra episode every week and you want to support the show, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash deathpanelpod. We do two shows a week. This is the free one. Please consider getting the bonus one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you think you can handle the bonus episode, (laughs) if you think you're up for two two episodes a week. Um, and if you think snap you're up, into a slim gym, if you can snap into that slim gym, uh, we, if you think you're up for it, uh, we did a really great interview with, uh, K B just to talk about the challenges facing the abolition movement and the movement to defund the police, abolish the police going into a potential Biden Harris administration. Uh, that was out on Monday. It was a great time. Uh, yeah. I think really good I highly episode. recommend that one. Super good. I yeah. mean, we love Kay here. Kay's the mm-hmm. best. Um, so it was a pleasure to have them back. And it's important to think about going into this because, you know, Biden Harris, not a great record on criminal justice between them. But in a way, the uh, uh, our conversation with Kay sort of presaged uh, at least the beginning of our uh, conversation today because I think we're going to talk about uh, the all the big vaccine news uh, later. But we we hit on Thanksgiving for a moment in that episode. <laughs> yes. Uh, too. Yeah. I mean. There is a war on Thanksgiving. Yep. Like the war on terror, it is it is an abstract uh, juggernaut <laughs> that we as a global society must grapple with. I do prefer to think of it as the war on Christmas. It's more like, you know, the think Nobody's... of the indecency of attacking our, our fine pine trees. Are they pine trees? Douglas fir. Come on, Artie. I don't know. <laughs> Any, sorry. I was anyway. going to say, it's, unlike it's, uh, unlike the war on terror, uh, we're not we're not drone striking anybody's uh, anybody's things. Pine trees <laughs> actually release more sure? sap and yeah. they're more likely to catch on fire, uh, anyway. so they're less uh, good to have in your house drying out. So it, there is a difference. It's important. Um, Arboreal facts. So we yeah. must not allow there to be 
a cranberry sauce gap. <laughs> <laughs> um, basically, I mean, that is kind of the line coming out of the administration, right? We cannot, uh, we can't have a Thanksgiving gap. Uh, yeah, the Canadians will have won. <laughs> yeah, if, uh, if we if if we don't go ahead with full on full bore Thanksgiving next week, right? right? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like the 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 discourse around Thanksgiving has been particularly toxic um, and unpleasant to experience as, because as Thanksgiving often is right as the discourse at thanksgiving often is but in like a newer crueler way than ever before almost because you have the mashup of you know people just i think i think k made this joke you know people just realizing that thanksgiving has like a really bad origin story colonial past yeah right (laughs) but mash that up with you know the current uh the whole people are literally taught about the history of the pilgrims going i don't anyway sorry Go ahead. so i mean one of the, sorry i'm just imagining somebody not being like oh my god we cannot do thanksgiving this year having just found out like what what the history of thanksgiving is completely divorced from the conversation about COVID. COVID, yeah. <laughs> i mean there's like so there's so much conflicting uh recommendations obviously right now about thanksgiving and not not from like the public health expert perspective that's pretty much hard consensus that like absolutely terrible idea to have an indoor gathering with people outside of your household sharing a meal thanksgiving covid don't really um they don't pair well together no shall we say well i think that you uh summarize this really well very briefly in our episode with Kay, which is just that it's it's obvious that in a situation where one of the um, worst situations you can be in for the transmission of COVID is in a small enclosed space with a bunch of people with masks off eating and mm-hmm. screaming at each other. Things. About yeah, politics. and screaming at each other. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and so it's not like uh, contrary to the, the like public discourse. It's not really that there's a war on Thanksgiving. It's just that like the complete lack of like COVID doesn't make Thanksgiving impossible, but our piss poor response to it and lack of any meaningful uh aid or interventions uh at at yeah. from local to mm-hmm. federal level basically have made it mm-hmm. impossible to absolutely. have thanksgiving absolutely for well, those right. who and, want and it. like yeah and th- and that and that is the sort of you know counterfactual that you can think about which is like imagine we had done you know a mild amount of things right you know four or five months ago like three months ago two months ago like we truly might not be in the situation but look here we are and then what happens is i mean i would dare you to like go and look on the websites the, the official websites that are supposed to direct you how to um have a, an appropriately safe um holiday <laughs> yeah and uh the like wisconsin has like a what it calls a decision making tool oh, uh boy. which ends up just being like Consider how many people will be there. Mm. Consider the ventilation. It's like, mm. yes, indeed. And how should I consider these <laughs> things, right? Right. Which is what you're perhaps going to such a tool for, right? I feel um, I mean, that I feel sounds like, like a like a Proust quote or something. You know? <laughs> consider the group that you're going to be with. That's right. Consider COVID. Consider the Madeline. <laughs> consider the stuffing. It, it occurs to me that you might be able to repurpose like a... Um, 
some content from like an abstinence only sex ed class. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> um, you know, where they like make a flow chart that, that just sort of always ends in uh, don't have sex. I, right. I feel like, I, I don't know, it, it could be putting a, could be putting a bunch of good flow charts to use. I'm just saying. Well, I, th- I think Phil's point is, uh, is really good. Cause beyond the, beyond stuff like that, like a state tool, for example, I think seeing the way that media has handled this in a lot of ways, I think I remember there was, um, what was it? I think a Washington post interactive tool or something, or like a, just at least some sort of posts, um, saying, uh, trying to do Thanksgiving on COVID-19 here are the most dangerous hotspots. And it just is basically like a heat map of, density of cases um in the united states much of which is like clustered around the midwest right now so if you're just looking at that covid is not like a zombie outbreak right yeah exactly (laughs) you can't just like go have thanksgiving somewhere where the zombies aren't currently there and call it good right but also but also like even okay let's assume that (laughs) the heat map is was a good uh, metric (laughs) yeah you know decision making tool it's not it's not but okay let's let's just assume that it, it bore some relationship to that. Even if that were true, like motivation comes in here and motivated reasoning comes in. <laughs> you can look at something that's a hotspot and say, well, you know, it could be worse. You know, right? I, and, I, and I think that that's absolutely when, listen, when, when, when family bonds are on the table and when like commitments and, and loyalties are on the table in this huge way and where, when it's going to be perceived as a slight where when you don't show up or perceived as offensive, I mean, even people who are well-intentioned, reasonably minded and health like conscious about safety, they will take risks that don't make any sense. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and unless you have, unless the information or incentive that you're getting is really strong and like really clear and like a very consistent signal that's like over and over again, you know, the sort of signal that you might get, I don't know, when there's a hurricane or a tornado or something that's like that very annoying sound, like the, whatever, the emergency <laughs> warning system, like you're going to make wrong choices. Yeah. We need yeah. like a Thanksgiving terror threat level system. Mm. maybe. You know, like we're in code orange, which means like absolutely no Thanksgiving. I can't remember if it was the hot colors that were more dangerous for terrorism I'm or the sure cool the colors. Hot colors were, well, see, were the more dangerous. red. That we're red. Yeah, Everybody red. is seeing red on Thanksgiving. Similar, similar to the terrorism, you know, whatever threat level scale. <laughs> it, they never gave you any concrete information to change your behavior. Right. Yeah. Given that we were at a particular level of terror like oh well it, it was all implicit though it was like you know watch watch for the the scary right uh, for brown you know, people muslim be, be people af- or something be afraid yeah. of brown yeah, people but, but that well, right and, and let's and let's actually do a close reading of these two uh warning systems in comparison okay? <laughs> right. oh yeah you have right so you have the the color-coded warning system that doesn't actually tell you how to change your behavior when there are different levels of threat now very obvious what the implication of that is just generally be afraid and have a greater level of acceptance for mm, surveillance and uh you know uh the 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 revocation of civil liberties the what we're seeing now are these series of decision is laughable to call them a decision making tool like talk to anybody who actually makes decision making tools laugh these are not decision making tools they're <laughs> mildly informational websites um, <laughs> right. that, that don't guide your decisions. Even like even a nudge 
lad like Cass Sunstein would be like, that's nah, not really a decision making <laughs> tool. Um, the what do we read off of that? There's no warning system. There's no it's just mild decision making tools. It's that ultimately Thanksgiving is going to serve an instrumental purpose for governments that have not taken adequate steps already to control the virus, which is it allows further individuation of blame for the spread. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so just like keep your eye on the bouncing ball of the fact that things are already as bad as they are when people try to say that like, ah, it was just people's poor decision making on Thanksgiving, but certainly not my family's poor decision making. It was those other people's family's poor decision making on Thanksgiving Mm -hmm. that certainly could not have been affected by any series Mm -hmm. of larger societal collective (laughs) choices. So, I mean, that is... We put the threat level at orange. Come on. (laughs) Right. Right. But right. But the thing is, if they didn't want to individuate risk, they would do things that, you know, maybe took a little bit more responsibility on the state, but you can read so much into the fact that they aren't. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's reminded me actually mm-hmm. of this thing that uh, B was telling me, because like, if you think about the, uh, for example, the, both, both, I mean, I think we should get into personal responsibility mm-hmm. narratives in, in a second, because there've been a raft of those, obviously, <laughs> but um, I think- Speaking the, of death panel favorites. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> our, our favorite thing to encounter in the wild, which is just, you know, in, endemic really, uh, I think that uh, personal responsibility narratives are now uh, endemic, which requires a very different type of, uh, you know, societal and uh, We need an in- inoculation for personal responsibility. Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, but the... Um, but this this is reminding me actually of this thing that B was telling me about. We've been, we've been remarking at how uh, convoluted some of the COVID PSAs mm-hmm. have become in uh, in New York and, and also in like other places where we see this like when you do these like clever... Um, commercials or something and just the the idea of even the like think, thinking of the terror threat level actually in terms of that like level of abstraction of like what exact degree of threat or alertness should i be at when i mm-hmm. walk to the airport and i or walk you know when i go walk <laughs> into the airport and i see that there is a little as in the cases i remember it living where i was at the time uh like walking into the airport and seeing like a little like xeroxed quick copy Thing, literally just taped on the door of like a sliding door at an airport that just said like threat level orange um, <laughs> on it, like typed practically like typed out or whatever in uh, in like Microsoft Word or something. Um, but you know what, like what the the abstraction that takes place there of like what exactly what what alertness am I supposed to do? Like what am I supposed to take away from this just by saying like oh this is uh, I'm at this level of color coding, which is kind of I guess like the McKinsey. Like, uh, mm-hmm. we're at, we're at, uh, we're at a, uh, stage three of reopening, et cetera. But you were, uh, you were telling me this thing about like how, com- how these PSA commercials have changed over the years. Yeah. So I was reading a, s- a couple studies the other day, um, to write a very boring thing, uh, for grad school about how, um, how to evaluate health disparities in people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. And, the, you know, all these studies were saying like, ah, oh, you know, look, we need to teach, IDD people how to not smoke and um, you know because smoking causes all these like secondary knock-on comorbidities and so then if you actually start looking at how PSAs about smoking have changed in the past 50 years like they've gone from really concrete things of like smoking is bad it'll give you cancer something more akin to what you'd see in Europe to like really abstract campaigns of like 
the, you know, like truth campaign where it's just like three teens and an anthropomorphized cigarette sitting at a lunch <laughs> table, like playing cards. And then like the girls hit by a car and the cigarettes like beating them at Yu-Gi-Oh and it sucks and they're <laughs> mad at the cigarette. And they, and there were like a bunch of studies that I found that, that like really drilled into this idea that like, well, actually like abstract PSAs that are more akin to like advertising that try and sell you on not smoking as like a general aesthetic idea are actually not effective for people. And it's not just the IDD population that has a hard time with these sort of metaphorical mood uh, PSAs that we're seeing a lot of in COVID. It's like you've got like music, there's like infographics, there's like people in masks in a park looking happy. And New York's like, if you can't stay six feet, do your best. That doesn't (laughs) tell you Anything. Like anything about COVID. Like, yes. Well, I think importantly, it makes it easy to tune out, right? Because it it's just it like, oh, it's just like out. any other ad or something. And then I have to figure, I have to wait till the end of this like cute little skit or something. This like to like wait until there's like the message at the end and you find out what it's for. And you're like, oh, this is for this is for like police robots. Weird. Oh, this one's for COVID. OK. Right. Yeah. You know. and, and there's actually been like a major uh, sort of loss in like information transfer. PSAs have gotten really less effective over the years as, as they've become more and more like workshopped um, high end budget advertising. You know, what these studies found is that like as uh, PSA advertising got more abstract and more advertising like and less informative, you actually saw a marked drop in respondents to surveys saying that they thought smoking was bad for them. So these like flashy PSAs that were trying to aestheticize an anti-smoking movement as a sort of like consumer ideology actually had the opposite of their intended effect. And they led to more people not understanding the risks of smoking. And I think we're seeing that with COVID too. Yeah. Well, totally. yeah, it actually makes me think I was, you know, just reading uh, something about the sort of relationship between professionalized public health and uh, like COVID responses. And I think the the point that the, the article I was reading was making was that like, you look at the countries that have the, these like very sophisticated, you know, systems of professionalization for public health, it, you don't get necessarily better outcomes mm-hmm. because just because you have, you know, a lot of professional knowledge uh, about what controlling a pandemic would be like, it doesn't mean by any means that there's anything like a sort of monopoly on uh, the influence of of that information uh, or that like when relevant messaging is going out, that it's not other uh, professions that are, are just sort of like weighing and like, you know, actually, no, this is good because of variety of like a b tests or you know uh, things that have nothing to do with like actual public health right uh research right. but like that it does seem to me that like the i mean i i i cannot say what was going on in these state uh health departments where the just the, the weakness of the messaging that that's coming out about this but it just it's just like so striking that you know a lot of what i would think to be effective messaging it's not just like the messaging is ineffective. It's just absent mm-hmm. entirely. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it's telling that the clearest messaging that you're getting on this, and this is maybe where, um, you know, some of this is like, you know, bridges beyond Thanksgiving. But since we're talking about Thanksgiving, I think we'd be remiss not to uh, highlight the the wonderful appearance on Fox News uh, over the like er- earlier this week by uh, one 
radiologist Scott Atlas um, <laughs> within the Trump administration. That was truly <clears throat> just um, eyes bleeding emoji. Well, um, so I'm, so I'm going to play this, but I think that the it, it's interesting because like this is when you talk about actually, you know, in terms of uh, informing whether it's like public opinion or whatever, like in, in terms of like getting clear messaging on this, I think uh, it's funny because I mean, I mean, I have kind of like a corollary uh, clip to play from this from the uh, the liberal side of how let's say of how they're of how they're dealing with this. Amazing. But if if sort of like one huge section uh, of the public is getting its messaging like this, I mean. Like it's easy to be in a bubble, or even like think about uh, if if you're like a, a long time listener to the show, we've you know we've talked a lot about how there weren't weren't really meaningful lockdowns, especially not at a national level. Mm-hmm. But that's clearly not the that's clearly not the narrative that is uh, is like extant out in the world, despite <laughs> mm-hmm. everyone sure. having lived through the same thing over the last year. But Did what, we all live through the same thing over the last uh, year? Uh, but I digress. Here. In response to the literally thousands of emails I get from people all over the country begging me to figure out how to end the lockdowns, we need to protect our, our vulnerable, high-risk senior family members. All these things I completely agree with. There's nothing there that isn't agreeable. But what the problem is, I don't agree you should you should close schools. I don't agree you should not have in-person learning. And this kind of isolation is one of the unspoken tragedies of the elderly who are now oh being told, God. don't see your family at Thanksgiving. For many people, this is their final Thanksgiving, believe it or not. We've made sure of that. <laughs> yes, and, and, and what we would like is for many more people for it to be their final Thanksgiving. That's, that's really our goal here. That's right. What a threat. It could be the last yeah. Thanksgiving for people of all ages. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What a wonderful but, but see, you way know what? to go. But that, see, the problem with that is like like anything, that's the kind of line that's so easy to repeat. Right. And so easy. It merges so well with the well-worn cultural guilt that is really not just limited to Catholics by any means. <laughs> uh, there are all kinds of religions that have, we all have our own different kinds of guilt and that merges so well with it, which makes it just venom. We're just yeah. great at it. We're just, we're just are the winners of uh, I mean, it's, the guilt game. Like I, I get it. Like reckoning with mortality, like really sucks. Like I know, I know I, I've had to do that a lot and I understand that it makes things like it makes decisions like this a lot harder but you know it's incredibly difficult to combat the messaging when they're using that right they know that that a lot of people are lonely and that a lot of people are incredibly worried that they're never going to see their loved ones in person again right Mm -hmm. and of course what this all does at the end of the day is like hides the fact that the reason why we are the way we are right now with covid the reason why it's so bad and why thanksgiving is going to be so deadly it's because people like Scott Atlas and, you know, the Bills of Blasio and the Andrews Cuomo and the Nancy Pelosi's like they did nothing. They've done mm-hmm. practically nothing. And it's their fault. Oh, but uh, according to Scott Atlas, a lot has been done. There's a second part of this clip <laughs> that's not being as widely shared as oh, as boy. the very funny. Uh, for a lot of people, this is their last Our Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving. Um, which they can obviously guarantee. It's the but- final countdown. <clears throat> Uh, but but this is another important this is kind of the that if that's like the shot this is the chaser of the of oh like the argument um, and this is something that's I think important for to like understand about the way that this gets really reinforced and this, the, as as we mentioned like it's so easy to repeat here 
What are we doing here? I think we have to have a policy, which I have been advocating, which is a whole person, whole health oh. policy. It's <laughs> not so about funny. just stopping cases of COVID. Oh. We have to talk about the damage of the policy itself. So what does the federal government do? It's what I've advised. It's what the administration oh has been doing. We supply resources. We do everything we can to target high-risk seniors inside nursing homes, outside nursing homes. Shut we give resources. Up. We give personnel to hospitals who request them. Yep, no risks anywhere else. Just those are the only risks. And uh, you know, definitely it's not 45-year-old people who are like German teachers in high schools that are dying and apparently, uh, by any means. And apparently there's a lot of uh, support being given by the federal government. That's news to me. To I'm, hospitals who ask I would love for to it, see it only, yeah. though, you know, of course. But I think, you know, like when we're talking, you, you said like it's the fault of these people who haven't done anything. I think it it actually goes one level deeper than that. So the problem is people did do things, right? Right. And in many cases, uh, those things that they did were modest, but uh, and and they had effects on the way that people experienced uh, having a job or not, uh, or uh, having business uh, or not. Um, but they didn't, they in a way weren't strong enough, weren't stringent enough, weren't universal enough to have a real measurable dent on the spread. Right. And so what, what happened, like, and, and, and I'm not just talking about what's happening now, which is that we're, you know, you see these headlines that are, uh, states are imposing new, new measures, but what it really is, is like Larry Hogan, uh, <laughs> says that, uh, you know, we're going to have like a curfew in Maryland. Right. And it's like, well, okay, we've talked about this before. Like, okay, that's that that doesn't make a lot of sense. But if you think back to March, it or in April, it was we're going to make these, uh, you know, plans to to shutter a lot of businesses. But we're also going to create this like weird map where, uh, well, sometimes these things are okay, and like here here are all of these other little things and, and exceptions, <laughs> and like, okay, that that is obviously going to look and is arbitrary yeah it's <laughs> entirely arbitrary here's your flow right? chart so, of acceptable behaviors <laughs> right, right? And, so, and so quite reasonable i mean you know i rarely find myself on the same page as state business associations <laughs> but here is one place in which at least factually speaking they were right these things made about as much sense as like a borges story <laughs> um, and so you know this that's, is I think that's across the bow <laughs> Sorry. You know, so so these this idea that we're going to have this like nimble or like uh, well tailored or crafted or um, uh, pluralistic response or like people can like sort of opt in, opt out. It it has no practically good effect. And so what people see is what government does doesn't seem to have an effect, except that, you know, for a lot of people, it's like this pisses me off right. because it seems arbitrary, <laughs> right. which it kind of is. And then um, you undermine all of the legitimacy and capacity that you have to act. Absolutely. So yeah. this is why this idea that like going going modestly and uh, you know uh, taking things you know in, in a measured uh, evidence based approach, <laughs> which which to be honest, look at any of the reports that that define these uh, different levels, like mm -hmm. purple and cal. <laughs> There's no scientific basis for this, right? You're coming up with cut points based on what? I mean, it's very crude if there is. And so, 
you know, unless you go really, really, really hard, you're not going to have a dent and you erode your capacity to do anything. Right. And I think you see this really, uh, I think a a really like phenomenal example of this actually is the whole debate that is happening right now over the fact that like New York City public schools have uh, just closed because, you know, we set when when uh, New York City, which is, you know, one of the few places that I, I think did, you know, we didn't do a lockdown exactly uh, as everyone has, uh, you know, try, like tried to say we had a we had a shelter in place order. But, mm-hmm. people, but, but of course, they didn't they didn't like say that USPS could stay home. So right, that people, essentially was absolutely fucking useless right, and just pe- an empty gesture. A ton of people were still going to uh, were still going to work. People were still moving about the city. We like remember this. It was more of a ghost town, but like. It was like a lot of people were still moving around the city and to a, a great extent, as we've talked about with um, studies that have looked at this, most of that was based on um, personal decision making, unfortunately. Right. But basically the uh, but I, I think with the you know, we when when um, when like shelter in place orders went into place in New York City at some point in March. There was, you know, there, this whole plan got drawn up for the phases of reopening, et cetera. <laughs> and, and with these. Um, with these like indicators in place of, okay, so once let's say in this case, schools are reopened, um, if the, uh, like if the COVID test, uh, positivity rate goes above three point, uh, goes above 3%, um, in the city schools will, will, will cease in-person instruction again, right? What happened, but we hit that bar. Um, it caused a clear panic in the mayor's office to the point that they were like five hours late for their own press conference and it got <laughs> the information got out. people the fuck out. Right. The information was first released like on Twitter that the, that the uh, schools were closing as opposed to during a press uh, during a press conference or anything like that where they've been like every day at 10 uh, like announcing this stuff and immediately people like uh, your Nate Silvers and I mean literally Nate Silver goes on Twitter <laughs> and is like are we sure that we have to do this I mean 3% was like an arbitrary thing so you know when you're when you already <laughs> when there are so many when even you have a good metric right mm-hmm. when you even have like a reasonable metric and you, we have like uh, you know put this out and, and said like this is going to be the metric where we say okay and now we're going to uh, draw things back to to control spread or whatever. Um, it's like it that puts like it puts that in the position to be challenged when you also do things like, as many people have you know uh, pointed out, there's still some indoor dining happening. There's still indoor dining. There is still mm-hmm. indoor dining happening in New York. Uh, a lot of the outdoor dining has basically transformed into indoor dining because there are now tents <laughs> right. outside. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, you know, it, it becomes absurd. But yeah, once you when you do that and when obviously when very obviously many of these things are motivated in part by, uh, you know, again, some of some of them are like good ideas. I think the threshold thing, threshold positivity rate was like a good idea, possibly even should have been even like lower, lower of a percentage rate because this disease spreads like crazy. And, right, and you need to account for the fact that there is inherently a delay. So if right. you're using a rolling seven day average to get to a certain trigger threshold, you're automatically going to be operating at a right. disadvantage because especially now, as we're seeing like in New York, there are massive testing des- delays. It's about eight to nine day delay. Right. So that's going to automatically which means give there's you probably a backlog which means there are probably a lot yeah you're gonna get a lower number yeah. on a rolling day average that's gonna also be lower right 
and behind those uh, right but but like testing numbers are uh lagging indicators death statistics are even more lagging indicators because you have to get like the death certificate and stuff like that to actually be you mm-hmm. know and that takes and a lot it more takes time a time to die but and it, it takes time <laughs> to die but then it still takes then like in weeks, weeks in some cases yeah to get uh to get a death certificate so like that uh w- w- i mean w- whatever right point point being yeah, obviously it, it completely erodes uh, confidence because all of these decisions are very transparently being made um, for for the preservation of bas- tax revenue, right? I well, mean, right. because well, I they want to keep these businesses uh, operational as long as they can to make sure that like businesses stay open, they can right. collect state tax revenue later, uh, the the like the uh, grand economy functions or whatever. Because there's no there's like no actual meaningful support. Right. right? Well, we, we've, I mean, we've lost sight of what was being discussed a lot in the beginning, which was the actual point right. of doing something <laughs> like a shelter in place order Absolutely. or closing schools in that these are, you know, risk mitigation strategies, right. From a public health perspective where the goal is to not overload the hospital. Right. Right. It's a game. Remember, flatten the curve. We've completely forgot about that because the fact of the matter is what is exacerbating the crisis to the point that it is absolutely out of control is the economic aspect, right? That's right. what's mm-hmm. driving it. And that is the part of this equation that is the most imaginary <laughs> of all the various components of which there are varying degrees of sort of unknown knowns but the economic part is the most tangibly like ripe for intervention and we don't do we're not doing anything exactly exactly and this is something that we said we said this in may when we did the (laughs) covid recovery panel thing which i really have to admit that i hoped that by now that document would look really milquetoast (laughs) yeah and (laughs) weak and wimpy but it's still um I don't know how this point is like, it's certainly, I didn't feel like it was that original uh, what we were saying, but <laughs> no, like, it was if like you do intentionally not, modest it, actually. Yeah. Exactly. And, and also intentionally, I, I think obvious about some of these things, which is like, if you do not provide people with support, if you do not make it possible for people to ride out all of the economic uncertainty, then the debate will be framed as do we allow people to keep their jobs and to keep working or, you know, uh, or have a situation where people are safe and, and able to avoid getting disease and, and dying and spreading disease. Right. And, and, and that's exactly where we are. And it was entirely avoidable if we had simply done something that we should have done, you know. D- decades ago yeah. and actually created good social policies <laughs> yeah. right, right. Or, extended beyond you know, just like a one and done like oh yeah here's like here's a couple months or something yeah. i don't know or even that, or even that we <laughs> could step right up or even that we could have uh done something about during the s- six months of like <laughs> you know yeah time in between <laughs> When we knew that this was going to maybe be a problem and eight months now, <laughs> eight months. Yeah, yeah. Time is a flat circle that seemingly has stopped in September for me. But like still, <laughs> it's like, you know, and I guess it's just seemingly also stopped for like every elected politician because they're just like, eh, eh, 
Seems fine. Numbers seem fine. Look, look at these September numbers. They're great. We're going to do right. indoor well, dining. And, and, we're, and like the, so many of the decisions that were made around, uh, you know, March and, and early April were based on uh, complete conjecture over whether, you know, people didn't know at that point, like, is, uh, is it going to, is COVID going to be fully seasonal? Right. Like the, mm-hmm. for instance, like the, the 1918, uh, flu pandemic, right. Um, cases really dramatically dropped during there's basically the like a flat X. line in between the first wave and right. the second wave which is why a lot of people have been saying that covid doesn't have waves but humps rather right exactly so but whereas yeah exactly within within uh with like the covid pandemic cases of just yes like the summer was less uh was like less pronounced in terms of um of cases and there are like a lot of reasons for that but unlike something like something that is more seasonal like the the uh, flu you don't see that dramatic of of drop off you see that it just remains so it was allowed to like continue to spread throughout the country no one adjusted their priors based Mm -hmm. on that and also the preparations like that was not taken as a warning sign of like oh shit it didn't go away seasonally Mm -hmm. uh Mm -hmm. well i guess we better prepare for most likely it seems like based on what we know and everything all the all the research being done that was done over the summer about the virus like looks like we better prepare for what's going to be very clearly a very bleak difficult uh you know like body filled winter right mm-hmm. um that's just like has not happened for a variety of reasons but i i think you know to I promised I teed up earlier. I promised uh, to show the the sort of like liberal side of this. And this yes. is what really fucking um, sucks, but also proves, uh, you know, once and again, once again, not that we, you know, need more evidence, uh, but that like Andrew Cuomo is just absolute like vile piece of shit. Um, and Corona daddy. Yeah. And uh, and which, again, you know, we don't really need much uh, to prove. He basically he practically does that every time he opens his he proves it every time he opens his mouth, basically. Um, but this is from his press conference. Um, I believe it was yesterday. Yes. Press um, conference on Wednesday where he yelled uh, at reporters about uh, about the. This was, and this was when the like the school closing decision yeah. had uh, had been made in it, New York City. It so. basically sounds like an appearance on the Doctor Oz show. Um, so <laughs> let let's uh, let's see who who Andrew Cuomo blames for the pandemic, huh? God. And just to make it very simple, if you socially distanced and you wore a mask and you were smart, none of this would be a problem. <laughs> it's all self-imposed. Uh. It's all self-imposed. <laughs> If you didn't eat the cheesecake, you wouldn't have a weight problem. It's all oh self-imposed. If you if you eat if yep, you didn't is, eat the cheesecake, you wouldn't have a weight problem. If you didn't eat the cheesecake, you would not have COVID nineteen. <laughs> what is the functional What is the functional difference between that and Margaret Thatcher saying there is no such thing as society? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. What's Nothing. the difference between that? The There's equally no the worst thing that's ever two. been said. Yeah. Can I just say? Can I just say that I do appreciate that he picked a New York, uh, New York based like junk food to uh, to to shame people with that's literally part of his whole uh i, th- I think that's part of how he does the charm basically <laughs> you know that's him being getting together <laughs> getting together with the girls for a spaghetti dinner you fat the boyfriend's piece not of pictured shit. <laughs> you know like everybody's like oh my Bali every day he was berating me while talking about uh something Genoa salami <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, from Arthur Avenue. <laughs> you know, Cuomo may be directly responsible for most of my family being killed, but at least he did it while he was enjoying a cat's there to photo op, you know? <laughs> right. 
right? I don't know. At least he's it's a, a Knicks fan. Bad New York accent, accent, but whatever. I don't it's, fucking it's care. It's okay. I, yeah, it just makes it, me. It sick. doesn't matter. Yeah, it's it just doesn't matter. About this makes it's about me as sick. authentic as Andrew Cuomo. So yeah, yeah. he's like yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fuck that guy. I'm anyway, sorry. Yeah. Fuck that guy. So no, and and I mean his temper tantrum this week is a pretty pitch perfect example of the sort of like grotesque phenomenon of like you know what these people are too stupid to socially distance you know that's really the issue Mm -hmm. and it's no wonder that anytime there's like a small drip of vaccine info everybody like freaks out because like there is nothing else to get excited about right now because everything fucking sucks but you know, mm-hmm. also like r- rhetorically, you know, it's a great strategy, a great hortatory strategy for public health is tell- is calling people stupid. Right. <laughs> great strategy. Always <laughs> works. People definitely respond really well to it. And, you know, probably more effective than actually taking uh, any sort of serious measure as a governor and then using that as leverage to force Congress to respond because New York is a substantial part of the United States' gross domestic Right. I mean, you know. Well, I mean, and I think this is the it's really telling, but also it 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 is like a it is a huge uh, bummer ultimately because I think that one of the things that you know we've talked about for a long time is it's not just you know I think people talk a lot about how um, you know I think there's a very prevalent narrative that basically you know the virus is uh, resurgent not necessarily even because of seasonal conditions but because of like pandemic fatigue or whatever that people just Mm -hmm. don't care and they don't want to like protect like protect themselves or something yeah it's because your neighbors are too lazy but to the extent that there's pandemic fatigue it's like very evident in people like Andrew Cuomo basically Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, pivoting fully to, uh, you know, the like the only defense that he has left basically uh, for the, you know, again, piss poor job uh, that they've uh, done with the pandemic in New York. Um, and the fact that he has like a book out about how he beat the fucking virus, right? <laughs> the only defense that he has now is to to basically like turn it around and say, you know, like, uh, well, it's so satisfying to see you wallow in the wet, the mess you've made. Like, congratulations, you're screwed. You know what I mean? To basically right. say, like, uh, to you know, to de facto actually, you know, we've we've talked a lot about how a lot of the response in this country has de facto been adopting a Great Barrington Declaration strategy, except actually without even trying to target the most vulnerable <laughs> um, yeah. to, for, for any sort of protection. So Right. In a way, it's like the Great Barrington Declaration wasn't an idea, but the attempt to justify a strategy already in place. Yeah. Just saying. Absolutely. Exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, and, and I, I have to say, like, you know, I've been accused of being a little bit of a uh, spoil sport about vaccine information, but I think it's always important to like think of each of these vaccine developments in the context of sort of what's going on in the sphere of of people like Andrew Cuomo, of these other governors who, you know, as we're saying, are really prioritizing the economic uh, recovery of like tax revenue over public health goals, right? So let's talk about the fact that um, we've got a little bit more interim analysis on vaccines. So a couple Mm -hmm. episodes ago, we talked about the fact that Pfizer had put out a press release with the sort of first announcement of any preliminary interim analysis data. Uh, We don't have that data yet, but that sort of got the, um, the ball rolling on the first 
reporting on efficacy of some of the vaccine candidates. So on Monday, Moderna announced by press release as well that its vaccine, which is also an mRNA vaccine like the Pfizer vaccine, that its vaccine is hitting 94.5% efficacy. Um, now, of course, not to be outdone, <laughs> Pfizer right. released another press release on, on Wednesday, Wednesday yeah. said, oh, actually, wait, we've got a little bit more data. Um, 95% effective, <laughs> which is really, it's really uh, living up to the, the vibe of arms race that we had initially predicted yeah. here. <laughs> right. And uh, I think that I will say, let me uh, preface this a bit by saying, first of all, this is definitely, as we've talked about with these uh, vaccines before, or specifically with the Pfizer vaccine, there are still important uh, caveats here, two of them specifically being for both of these vaccine candidates, uh, which, again, have gotten a lot of attention and have made a lot of people, I think, how to put it, I, I think it's actually in, in some ways it's actually, uh, as we'll talk about, I think um, it, this is actually the first time I would say probably it's fair to be a bit optimistic about this, but it has made people, I think, a bit over optimistic based on some mm -hmm. of the, the key missing information. Uh, the two pieces of key missing information being uh, one that, again, both of these vaccine candidates, um, the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccine, the only information that we have uh, from these is still from press releases. So data is not like publicly available. It has not been uh, published and peer reviewed um, yet. So that's su super important. It's just you know, these super are, these are duper press preliminary. Yeah. That everyone's just running with. So that's, you know, that's one thing. But uh, and then the second thing is, you know, as as we won't know, this is not something we can know from even getting the, the data out there. We still don't know how long immunity would last from uh, these vaccine candidates, but still, I think that there is actually, uh, for both of these, assuming that the data, uh, that they actually have is accurately reflected through what they're saying in the press releases, right? Assuming that that's true, there is actually, uh, this is actually like something pretty kind of impressive. Um, actually. I'd say more than saying assuming it's true. It's more Not like assuming ass if no, no, I'm saying I'm saying more of the question is like if the pattern that they're seeing demonstrated in their data right now holds right and because, bears out to a larger right, population. Right. I think a lot of people have been talking about like, well, what if they're manipulating the data and blah, blah, blah. And it's like so small and like, yeah, it is really small patient groups. Right. And that's the point of interim analysis, which is basically sort of announcing like benchmarks before you go in of where you're going to try and take stock and measure progress as you're going. Right. right? Mm -hmm. That's really what these announcements are, is that we've hit this checkpoint. This is how we're doing so far. Right. No, so, I mean, so the point is, this is, and, and this is the thing that I, th I think is really like weird. And I, I don't actually have the right words for how to talk about this, but there's, there's optimism, right? Uh, that that makes sense, which is that like clearly these are signs of of genuine progress on development, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes, but then there's this other level of optimism that is picked up in market signals that I think you have to question because you know one, as you said before, there are some limits in, in sort of the level of information we have. But more importantly, for me, it's like, well, in terms of what the rest of the world is going to look like or what the rest of the country is going to look like, right. this stuff has to get out to people. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And that's something right. that um, we know a great deal less about. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. well, and, and I was just going to say, I mean, in the context of like, 
you know, we've been talking about Cuomo a lot. Like, remember when, uh, remember when Cuomo, you know, when, when the, uh, uh, the budget for New York state was being drafted and he said it was really easy to make a budget when you have no money, right? Mm -hmm. Like (laughs) this is the context in which we are going to be distributing basically in which states Mm -hmm. are going to be, uh, playing a really big role in distributing these vaccines over the next couple months. I think, um, maybe one thing that we could get into though, because I think I, I would like to talk about there, there are huge, as you know, as you would uh, imagine, and as we've alluded to, there are going to be huge barriers to the rollout of this, and that will this will take like mm-hmm. uh, if like if these are as efficacious as they uh, appear like they could be, um, this is still going to be quite a bit of time before anything has like meaningfully changed. I think, uh, and before there is a, like a sort of rollout, but I think before we talk about that, could we could we like hit really quick the method by which it's constructed because actually it's interesting because if this like if this works basically mm-hmm. and it is and if it is as efficacious as the information that these companies are putting out in press releases that i mean that would be a huge shift because as we've talked about like in a lot of cases like a good vaccine mm-hmm. right is something like 70% efficacious right right mm-hmm. uh and and the principle of having a 70% uh, efficacious vaccine work and and be like very good for controlling or for like helping with public health at like the at, at like a, a broad level right is the concept of uh, herd immunity that is like widely uh, <laughs> reappropriated by people like Martin Koldorf right which is the you uh, you like use if you have like a, a vaccine with seventy percent efficacy then seventy percent of the people who get it will you know be uh, will be vaccinated. Uh, basically, and you you limit the transmission person to person simply by doing mm-hmm. that by encouraging like the, right. the the large group of people to have it. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, you know, I think for p- people who don't know a lot about vaccines, seeing like oh, it's ninety four point five percent effective in a world where uh, you know a lot of like there's you know. Uh, whatever, like Clorox wipes promised like 99.99% uh, <laughs> destruction of germs, right? You know, Advertising seems, has fucked up our sense of statistics. Right, like it's, it appears to be maybe not that efficacious, but it would actually be a huge breakthrough with a very different version, but with a, with a, um, a type of uh, vaccine production that I think has mostly been tested in animals so far. Yes, right. So like the way a traditional vaccine is um, is made is that basically there's like a whole DNA piece that enters into the body. Sometimes it's like live or dead, but you've got the entire piece of the virus in there for the body to identify, absorb, and then create the proteins on the outside. In past episodes, we, we talked about this sort of like wearing uh, the heads of your enemies like trophies on a pike, right? Like, so the, the body has to seek out the vaccine, which is like injected DNA material of the virus, and then it creates an immune response. The mRNA vaccines are different. Like a lot of, there are a lot of different ways now. There's like DNA vaccines and stuff like, and stuff like that that are are in testing. But like, so mRNA vaccines, unlike other vaccines that will have say like live or dead attenuated virus that basically you introduce into the body to have it, uh, you know, like uh, attack and identify uh, parts of it where, but you have to essentially grow a large amount of virus, right? Uh, again, like whether like live or dead, you have to grow a bunch of cellular material to, to manufacture these vaccines, right? Uh, mRNA virus, uh, sorry, mRNA vaccines work in a really different way. So like they identify, um, like what you've, you've, I'm sure everyone's heard about like the spike protein, um, 
right from no. For, no. Uh, well okay well basically if you read well whatever if you read anything about the about the coronavirus there like a lot of people talk about the spike protein this is like a, a thing <clears throat> this is a protein strand that like is used to like it attaches to it's like an antigen right it attaches to cells in the human body yeah so uh, your basically. cells so basically need to create a protein which is an antibody and that protein will attach itself to incoming virus and prevent the virus from attaching to other cells so it basically is like uh, okay, a blocker my yeah. point mm-hmm. my point is that for an mRNA vaccine, as opposed to replicating a whole cell, you basically just uh, like basically like clone a bunch of R- uh, RNA to uh, to be that antigen, essentially. So you have the genetic code of like basically the spike protein that binds to stuff, um, and that's the thing that is the thing that your immune system targets first. Yeah, the basically. mRNA vaccine basically so, tells the cells to make the antigen itself versus the body having to find the antigen in the injected DNA material and reproducing it. You have sort of like direct instructions from the vaccine versus the material exactly. like needed in the beginning. So it's actually oh, okay. it's a method of producing a vaccine, which is like much more streamlined uh, in a way, like theoretically is much more streamlined and like easy to just say, like, OK, just target this part. Uh, right. Right. And in theory, these vaccines would have potentially fewer side effects because you're not mm. having to infect the person with any actual virus. Right. You're right. only giving the instructions for the protein, the production of the protein, which the body is going to use to identify it and eliminate the virus. So right. in, in theory, you can both, um, you know, give a vaccine like this to more vulnerable populations. Like, you know how you hear like sometimes like older people have to get a different flu shot or you, you know, can't mm-hmm. get certain vaccinations if you're immune compromised, et cetera. That theoretically is avoided with mRNA vaccines. And they are in theory, again, not a lot of like there has not been one approved for humans yet in this class. But the the major advantage to an mRNA vaccine is that you're one having to grow uh, different things in the lab. You're more like replicating these instructions. You're not growing a bunch of virus that could, you know, in pandemic terms, like <laughs> be released as a bioweapon and accidentally <laughs> infect the whole lab with super COVID, whatever. You know what I mean? Right. Um, you know, an mRNA vaccine is not infectious. Mm-hmm. It is not the virus it's instructions for your own it's, cells it's kind of like a bunch of different little parts of the virus it's like individual yeah, proteins that are part of the like, virus that then your body identifies but then it's like not coming together into like a harmful thing right basically. so like in it's your the s- ikea furniture but it's missing yeah, a key no, uh exactly that's, yeah that's a great way to put it right exactly. like your yeah. your ribosomes are in your cells all day long just making proteins that's all they do right go back to like biology 101 like human bi- ap human bio whatever like your ribosomes just sit there all day long and they make proteins and you're RNA is the like instruction booklet to make proteins. So all you do is you're basically injecting a bunch of Ikea instruction booklets into a body (laughs) so that the ribosomes can pick them up and make the parts that are missing from the flat pack. Right. Right. Like you've come missing a couple screws. We don't have the screws to build the immune response that we need for COVID because it's a novel virus. So what we're doing is we're giving the body instructions to make the missing pieces it needs to assemble the immune response. Right. I can't believe I just made like a weird extended no. metaphor about building your <laughs> no, own but furniture, that's a great metaphor. but it, it's, 
it's pretty tangibly what's going on. And that's and this is why I want to you know I want to emphasize again like it, I think it's rare that we allow a degree of optimism on some of this stuff. Especially again, you know, want to emphasize once again we only have press releases from these uh, two companies, but uh, considering that in theory, uh, like in theory, based on what we've seen from previous mRNA uh, vaccines in practice, right? Um, and only recently, I think that's notable because like mRNA vaccines were thought for a long time to be uh, like a pie in the sky idea until actually sometime in the 2010s when there was uh, like... Di- we stopped uh, pig diarrhea epidemics. Well, no, 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 no. <laughs> until sometime in the 2010s when we, uh, when there was a, there was, there were technological advancements in the production of these basically where they figured out, okay, we're going to put these in these like lipid sacks, basically like we hide, we like hide them in fats so they don't get immediately dissolved. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. cool there. Yeah. There, there was like a scientific advancement basically to figure out how to make MRNA vaccines like actually work and not just like, not just kind of, uh, just like disintegrate very quickly. Yeah. Um, like, and so now we- it could be, it could have huge implications basically for future vaccines, which is really interesting. So could it actually be the case that that like essentially the this the Moderna or the Pfizer vaccines um, are so efficacious because of this uh, production method? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right, Vince. I mean, we we have not really had mRNA vaccines approved in the like in the human space, but that's also I think partially due to the fact that you know there has been like major divestment from vaccine research in favor of, you know, investing in these like blockbuster drugs, you know, the mm-hmm. kinds of like antibodies, like the kind that Mr. Trump got. Right. And, you know, like the, you know, blockbuster prince of chemos, as we like to jokingly <laughs> right. call it, like Rituxan, which is the second largest grossing drug in the world. The first largest is Humira. These are like expensive, profitable gambles vaccines Mm -hmm. you tend to have like the public health interest there which offsets the cost right right Mm -hmm. and there's the sort of volume component but they're not necessarily big money makers you know what i mean so like there hasn't been a lot of investment in um in vaccine the way that i would have hoped that we would have been doing research for the past like couple decades but in the veterinary space where you know you got to protect livestock because you want to be able to do your industrial agriculture meat production right exactly there is a lot more uh advancement in the veterinary space actually which is kind of ironic but um so you're just saying so you're really really you're saying that factory farms have saved us from covid uh kind of of. not have saved us but well i was gonna say it's it's really a combination of factory farms and dolly parton have saved us from (laughs) covid Well, I mean, it's not, uh, it's, it's not that like factory farming has, uh, saved us. It is that we, (laughs) it's, it, it is interesting that, uh, yeah, basically a lot of the reasons why, uh, our our obsession with industrialized meat has led to, well, the, the, the need to, uh, yeah, like perpetuate industrial, uh, meat production has led to like side industry, uh, business of doing stuff like, um, I don't know if you're gonna if this is what you're about to bring up, but like uh, the the for example uh, one of one of the biggest like success stories of mRNA vaccines uh, prior like I mean not prior like still I, I guess still extant mm-hmm. extant uh, success stories of mRNA vaccines and it, it remains to be seen uh, what will happen with the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines because that it, it could obviously very well be eclipsed very shortly by this but 
w- uh, was in combating uh, this uh, epidemic of something that was called porcine epidemic diarrhea, um, yes. which sounds, which is as lovely as it sounds, but basically <laughs> it, it was like another, helpful. it was like some, it was a, it was a virus, is a virus, I guess, uh, within uh, a similar family to uh, the coronavirus, except for attacking the lungs and a bunch of other stuff. Um, it attacked the uh, like gastrointestinal tract of pigs. Yeah, it's um, actually it actually works kind of similar to COVID in that it's particularly effective at entering the body through mucous membranes. But instead of going for the respiratory tract, it goes for the mucus in the intestine instead. Right. And so in uh, in 2013, uh, this epidemic was taking place and it was having a huge effect on uh, like, again, industrial wine industry in pig, general. Like, yeah, like yeah. pork manufacturing and stuff um and a mrna uh vaccine was developed and and tried the results were uh like also very you know very like very high efficacy and like a lot of um like in a lot of these pigs who got the vaccine also um because of the let's just say different ethics uh that uh scientists approach uh, animal testing to um what they what they did is also in addition to like beyond what's happening in these uh like we've talked about challenge trials actually on the on the mm-hmm. show recently um but like beyond what happened what ha- is happening in like the human trials with Pfizer and Moderna um this uh this mRNA vaccine uh for this condition in pigs uh was then basically also then like challenge tested so they injected right uh they in, like injected gut tissue from infected pigs into vaccinated in, pigs. into the vaccinated pigs and found that they had like a very high yeah they basically just like did, didn't uh they didn't get sick didn't well uh they didn't get as sick, sick right? uh, if they, yeah but uh but they like they recovered as opposed to like dying from this virus right and this is this part. is why when we were talking about the ethics of challenge trials we were saying <laughs> human challenge trials because actually most animal studies uh with drugs and vaccines are operate as challenge cha- trials they yeah. are cha- challenge they are trials, challenge trials right. yeah and i mean mm-hmm. this I, I think the thing for me that's like really encouraging is that we're actually seeing some like great data um from moderna like Mo- moderna's results are good more encouraging Again, to me. according to what they put Accord- out. Right. Yeah. It appears to be more encouraging than what Pfizer has put out so far for one very specific reason. And that is the fact that, you know, we talked about this a little bit, um, you know, in weeks, in weeks prior, but, you know, there are different types of immunity, right? You can, um, you can catch COVID and have it asymptomatically, which means you'll still spread it, but you won't get very sick. You can, um, you know, also like get a vaccine and maybe not catch COVID. And the, the most important thing is that like, we don't really know what we're going to get out of the vaccine, but we, we have some information from Moderna about how the vaccine is operating in more vulnerable populations, which is not quite there yet from Pfizer or any of the other right. companies. Because also mm-hmm. they have a much more, it seems like they have a much more diverse um, uh, study group, right? Yes. Like they, have a, they have a higher percentage in their trial. Uh, because again, you know, these are the... Like, Moderna I, I think I think yes. it's important to keep in mind um, 
for like for these how again how these like trials work because mm-hmm. i'm assuming that a lot of people who are listening to this like we do need to have a baseline you basically at this at this stage of uh, vaccine trial study you have uh enrolled thousands of volunteers some of them get a placebo so it does nothing some of them get the actual vaccine and you uh you kind of give them uh those uh, doses in the case of both of them, you have, uh, you have one shot and then, uh, three to four weeks later, you have a second shot that you have to get, uh, as like a a booster. Basically you give them those, you watch, uh, you watch them, you have them go in, uh, frequently for testing, running blood work and, and stuff like that. You, you monitor, uh, you know, whether they get the virus, uh, whether they have any, uh, you know, you monitor their side effects and all of that stuff. And, so, for example, uh, what what B's saying is that like Moderna's uh, trial has um, comparative to actually a lot of the other trials going on right now uh, appears to have um, a much more racially and uh, age based uh, diversity, I mm-hmm. guess, than a lot of other mm-hmm. trials, um, which is good in terms of uh, data and information because, for example, with with like results in older people, for example, it's encouraging to see good uh, results come back considering specifically that older people tend to have weaker immune systems would suggest that possibly uh, some of the things that we've talked about being a potential problem for a vaccine before if it if it doesn't if it only protects from disease and does not protect from infection at all right mm-hmm. that a, that uh, a vaccine could for example work really well on a, a very healthy population but not work very well in uh, like immune compromised people right. uh, or mm. or elderly people stuff like that. So the it's it seems like the information is good so far from yeah. Moderna on that front. Um, and just in terms of the scale, actually, though, basically, so you have like you know thirty thousand people, let's say, in a in a trial. I think Moderna's is thirty thousand. Right I think now. Moderna's is more, but thirty thousand is the minimum you need for like a standard phase right. three mm-hmm. trial. So you have tens of thousands of people in in the trial for uh, the Pfizer vaccine, like. In Pfizer's case, uh, they've had they've recorded over the time of the study, 170 of those people have got COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Of that group, 162 of those cases occurred in the placebo group, which is where you get figures like you know 90 percent efficacy, right. um, etc. So there are a lot of again, this is this is why this you know this number or whatever of efficacy can change over time because mm-hmm. as you introduce it to a broader population which is why you know Again, Moderna having a benchmarks. more diverse section is good um mm-hmm. like but as you uh, as you you know roll it out to a, a broader population you see you, you'll see that like number shift because you'll get more information on okay well actually you know maybe you know there could be there who like it, it's entirely possible that there are a number of like social factors or something that uh, contributed to mm-hmm in fact, it's almost certain that there are sorts of factors that contributed to some people who maybe could have gotten mm-hmm. uh, the the virus, even if they had the vaccine, mm-hmm. right? Um, who just like maybe they will get it and they're part of the trial and they'll like eventually get it and that number will change or maybe, you know, it's uh, so it it, could it's change up, over it's up time. in the air. Yeah, it right. will. It will. It certainly will change over time. Basically, and right. and it's important saying. to uh, it's important to have a diverse pool because you can't look at data from like, let's say. I'm doing a phase three drug trial and I'm going to go for like the safest possible cohort of participants. So I'm only going to get like maybe young, healthy white women who are in a certain income bracket. Right. So they have like as little stress as possible. Most, you know, most likely have housing, most likely have health care most likely have access to food, right? That's going to show me only the picture of how 
efficacious that particular drug or vaccine I'm testing is only within that population. And right. it doesn't necessarily scale to someone who is, you know, maybe not 40 who eats organic and like has a roof over their head, but maybe they're, you know, 30 and houseless, right? Mm-hmm, That's going right. to be a, di- that person is going to have a different immunotype because, you know, there will be differences in the social determinants of health of that person's life. They're going to have different nutrition. They're going to sure. have more stress uh, hormones in their body because their life is more stressful. So unless we study how a vaccine works in a bunch of different people, you can't really say for sure how vulnerable populations are going to be protected or not, which is right. why Moderna's press release is encouraging to me, right? Because that tells me a lot more about sort of what we can expect this number to do over time, right? Like Pfizer's group of 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 people that they're testing on is less diverse. So as their pool gets more diverse, it could affect the efficacy numbers, right? Mm-hmm. right? But Moderna okay. is more diverse from the get-go, which is great. Yeah. You know, I think it's important though, like this is great, this is good news, but it's important to understand what this news isn't, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is not a sure bet situation. As we've said, this is interim analysis. This is preliminary data. This is a checkpoint. We've got to continue the study. We need to see what the long-term results are. If these percentages hold, we need to see data. It needs to be reproduced. It needs to be transparent and able to be analyzed by third parties. Well, also, I think more importantly, if it is uh, like if it is a good or if either of them are a good vaccine or both of them are a good vaccine, ultimately, uh, then that's where the that's where these things sort of like, again, cross the transom of like research science and into the the social. Yeah, let's say. it's important to remember that like the first year, I think like the Moderna vaccine, for instance, they said like, I think first year they can do 20 million doses for all of. And that would be for all of like you know, 2021 say that's 2020. That's this year. I think that's for this year. Before like I think the that's this, this year. It depends on when the authorization comes through when they mm-hmm. apply for it. Like the timing okay. is, is the most unclear I think right now. And it really depends on how the study progresses. Well, it's also important whenever you see these like headlines about uh, doses or whatever, like mm-hmm. take that number that they're talking about and and cut it in half because, because that's right. doses two. and you have to have two doses of the vaccine to right. have it work. So can I also, I, I was curious cause I remember when we were talking about uh, the Pfizer vaccine a, a week or so ago, like one of the distribution challenges that they were like facing is the fact that it needs to be super, super cold. Yeah. Negative um, 70 degrees Celsius for Pfizer. Yeah. yeah. Is, I mean, uh, but not for, but not for Moderna. Yeah. Okay. Moderna apparently can now be in a, They've said, and I don't know what the, again, this is also something in a press release. Um, and mm-hmm. so I've, I've heard a lot of like questions about whether this is true and how exactly they tested this. But apparently uh, the Moderna vaccine can basically now live for 30 days in a in just a fridge. Yeah. And something that's between two and eight degrees Celsius, which is like 35 to 45 degrees Fahrenheit, which is much yeah. more doable than the sort of like... Uh, I think they have to still be shipped at like negative 20 Celsius, but that, that reduces the, um, it's easier to ship something though. Yeah. yeah, Of like having to like, basically like the problem actually is, is like, it's really hard to find high negative freezers right now. They're not something that's like, 
they're one really expensive and they're not something that's like a really popular consumer good. Yeah, so it's, it's not something you just have around. Right. It's not like there's like I, what stock. are you guys talking about? I have two. Right. right. <laughs> and well, they're full of heads. I might have a third. I don't even know. I might have forgotten. Phil Rock out here with have... a wolf freezer or something. <laughs> how do you not have one in your you know, in your kitchen and then also one in your garage. I mean, I, c- I couldn't no, live with one for that. the week and then one for the weekends, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Phil, yeah. Phil's got a full on, uh, 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 what's it called? Like a full on FedEx, uh, ther- thermocure, uh, uh, <laughs> truck packed, uh, parked in the, parked in the lot behind his house. Right. I mean, and beyond the sort of like issues of like, okay, there's like temp assure, temp sorry, assure. FedEx temp assure. That's a real thing. God, geez. Yeah. You know, like beyond the issues of like, okay, it's, it's actually very slow and hard to process the RNA to like make all this material that's needed. You need a lot more of it than like normal lab purposes. So that's a hurdle. So that's going to like, you know, represent a big challenge is how do we scale up production on something that before now has only been done on a really small scale for the most part in like 90% of the times that it's been done in a lab Mm -hmm. it's been done in very small quantities though the Mm -hmm. promise is that theoretically Mm -hmm. uh, it could actually scale up production easier because as opposed to having to grow whole cells and stuff you just have to grow like strands of protein which makes sense and I think it's not even grow them I think it's replicate I think it's like copy them I think think, you know that's all this all gets us off into like science reportery territory but I think if we could uh, divert again back to the like uh, mm-hmm. the like actual challenges that we usually talk about politically in terms of like political co- economy basically like I think that there are huge there are huge barriers to imagining like how a country like the United States could competently roll this out when they're when we have seen that like I think uh, states have gotten what 200 million dollars total for uh, vaccine preparing um, stuff like that spread across a number of states and yeah. it would be like a multi-billion dollar initiative if it's going to be done at the state 8. level. 8.4 billion is what states have requested. Right. So Yeah, this is not a silver bullet. For like May I refer you back to one Andrew Cuomo and Mosquito Abatement as Phil brings up all the time. Then Yeah, but the problem is that everybody's just eating cheesecake and they should know better. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's New York cheesecake. I mean, and that's the thing, right? Is that like when you don't have any prospect of money from Congress, I mean, it's not exactly waiting for Guffman, right? You're not going to pull <laughs> together and do the show, even though the city council, uh, you know, isn't giving you the money. Right. Uh, sorry. I, had to, I don't know why that came up, but I'm, 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 I'm fine eventually. with that reference. That works. Whatever. Yeah. No, but if you look at the, but if you look at the plans, that the states have, I mean, like Georgia is just saying, well, you know what? The details are just going to be worked out by the local health departments. No. <laughs> um, It'll work. We'll figure warehouses. it out. Whatever. I mean, yeah. states are like warehouses. What's a, what's a warehouse? Um, uh, half of the states apparently have functioning uh, immunity registries. Uh, the other half, question mark. Uh, <laughs> Less than half of the states have actually said what the number of people are going to be in their priority populations for distribution right. of the vaccine. And I mean, the just, just like, let me put it this way. Uh, you don't have to like listen to me yak about this. Like, go and look at the plan in your state. There's a database of them. Uh, and go and look at the plan in your state. You will see a lot of question marks, right? And I'm yeah. not saying 
I don't say that again because like I think planning is easy or like, oh, they should know this by now, et cetera. I, I think the point is that when Congress has basically said, fuck off, um, <laughs> how are you supposed to actually develop these plans? I mean, mm-hmm. uh, without them just being fictional. Right. There's mm-hmm. a right. lot. There's a if we think about this and if we think about this in market terms, like there's a huge bubble here uh, of of optimism that could break when it, we finally figure out that, uh, no, you can't just have a virtual right. set of ideas <laughs> for you can't just you, you do not fight a, a pandemic with a concept. <laughs> Of a public right. health I mean, system. think about the rollout mm-hmm. of like the the polio vaccine, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that took place uh, at a federal level in a much different like civic reality in mm-hmm. America at the time, right? I mean, yeah, for sure. I mean, you had like uh, schools, like public schools, on the weekends, right? Were vaccination facilities? Like, I cannot, I cannot see that happening autonomously across the United States in, you know, the thousands of different municipalities with zero funding behind it. That's just absolutely unrealistic. And part of the fucking imaginary mythology of like individual responsibility is better than uh, planning structure and like competently funded infrastructure right right and 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 the fantasy that like it's really local small scale governments that are going to like solve these problems it's like you know anytime you want to coordinate something at all small (laughs) is not beautiful small is small is real ugly you know you know you know where small isn't beautiful like the railroad okay small not beautiful the railroad but you know localism that's why we have Amtrak in the United States, right? <laughs> I mean, and you know, the thing is, like, these vaccines could be fantastic tools in our arsenal to fight this disease, right? This could be a game changer. That said, if it's bungled, if it's done wrong, if we hang it like it's our only hope and that things are just going to be let her rip brutal, brutal community spread until such time as we can vaccinate. Right. The vaccine is not going to really be a huge help. Like it's, this is the whole thing with Thanksgiving, right? Like just, it all ties in because you know, really what the problem is, is that the vaccine cannot meaningfully change the outcome of this without the financial economic aspect to go with it right Mm -hmm. it alone will do nothing and on top of that because if you imagine if it is like let's say it is rolled out and there's this you know massive vaccination program of unprecedented uh, uh scale and uh and 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 speed or whatever within uh the united states uh specifically right still we emerge we still we still like emerge from that into the like terrifying like charred economic hellscape that this situation has created right Right. and unlike the virus we have some control right right? like unlike with the virus we know and we understand how we can make meaningful economic interventions right now Right. We need to spend the resources studying how to do that for coronavirus. But 
that doesn't mean that we need to just sit around on our asses and pretend that capitalism can go on unabated in its current iteration while we figure the other stuff out. It just doesn't work that way. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Well, and and I I mean, again, like if you thought that this was a if if you thought that this was merely a problem, even of reconstructing our public health system, or if you thought that this Mm -hmm. is merely a problem of getting of delivering the right treatments to the right people and not about uh, changing society's ability to make credible commitments in a way that would permit many, many more people to not die. Mm -hmm. I mean, You've you've missed the entire story of what's happened. Right. Exactly. And to be honest, I feel like that for me is the bottom line for everything we've talked about today and a really good point, Phil. Maybe actually we should just sort of end it there. Let that be the final, mm-hmm. you know, sure. thought we leave people with, because, you know, what <laughs> we just this is not sustainable and it's not the strategy of, you know, let her be fast and loose until the God-given vaccine is delivered from upon high. It's just not going to cut it. Well, and get ready for get ready for all the takes of uh, capitalism delivered the COVID-19 vaccine. <laughs> Actually, oh. Phil already sent me one of those, uh, which is uh, which is this like whole thing of like the of the like the vaccine uh the speed of the vaccine and operation warp speed proves that uh china is gonna lose out in the in the world economic order in the next century the like the united states <laughs> is still on top actually um, i know i've been oh, going also, on but like in the same article he's Bloomberg, like the fact the that we were willing to die <laughs> at right. greater rates than the chinese also <laughs> proves that we're gonna be geopolitically <laughs> dominant it's like yes yes I'm there the guy also, who stabs himself. That's the, the scary can be, guy. Is the guy there, who kills himself. There can be no success in America if it is not paired simultaneously with uh, uh, China fear mongering. They also they also printed in that article uh, the China vaccine. They referred to <sighs> a vaccine made by a, a, a group of Chinese scientists as the China vaccine. So. To be honest, like at the very bottom of my outline for this episode ha- is a section that just in all caps says "axe to grind colon," <laughs> and underneath it said, "Would love to rant about the 22 DMs I've gotten in the past 48 hours that have said, see, Beatrice, this is why you can't argue for communism because." If we had communism, we would only be developing one vaccine candidate, and we simply cannot have innovation without capitalism. You can't have Pepsi. You can't have RC Cola. You would just have Coca-Cola. What if That's we okay, had China's been communist? There are a lot of vaccines being developed in China. Also, are you saying that? Are you saying that communists just can't? You, you, we, when when a communist looks at research, it's like a it's like a Tyrannosaurus Rex or something looking at a person. They have to be moving. The research has to be moving. If the research <laughs> yeah. isn't moving, a communist can't see it. Right. Uh, and therefore. We must have our, uh, yeah, we must Listen, have our fixed permanent vision of uh, capitalist Innovation eyes. cannot happen because of like goodwill, empathy, and the desire for human progress. Innovation can only happen as a prerequisite for property accumulation, which is why Pfizer so that, is launching a special luxury vaccine that will roll out before the we have regulation. To, we, we have Just to get kidding. the vaccine out to every last person uh, within the United States so that we can get back to the real work of new. China. 
Build back better, That's baby. That's right. Build back better. Don't <laughs> let Joe Biden's first better. term be a uh, first and possibly only term be swallowed up by having to worry about the little coronavirus. I'm Joe Biden and I will blow up the moon in yeah. China. <laughs> That's right. They did it. They blew up the moon. All right. Well, I think we'll call it there. Uh, Wonderful episode as always. If you'd like to support our show and help us continue to do this project, patreon.com slash death panel pod. You get access to all of our bonus content. There are some awesome interviews that are for patrons only right now. We have our conversation with Jules Gleason, uh, Jacob Bacharach. We have Kay, as we were saying earlier in the episode. So you also get a discount on merch. Become a patron there that's my plug great as always medicare for all now solidarity forever stay alive another week bye Bye-bye. bye 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 well, don't you give me no lip you better not mess <laughs> god's america <laughs>
It no? was kind of like very like 90s Toys R Us commercial music, like oh hyper synths. And like, I, I don't remember if they were, I think there was like Ugh. singing or something, but just imagine getting stuck in Los Angeles traffic in a hot car <laughs> for anywhere from 45 to an hour and a half listening to Polly Pocket music while your carpool complains about what her parents are going to get her for Gift Friday or not. I had a... I had a Gift Friday? <laughs> what is, that's wow. These are, these are rich people holidays. What I have sim- no idea. What a what. simpler time. Her dad was the for the Republican Party of California. <laughs> I'm sure Gift Friday was very, very good in the 1990s. And, and a Republican... Um, Tony Soprano figure. Yeah, electoral college <laughs> member for the state of Florida. Cool. Still is. He was this time too. Um, I'm the mayor of the Sopranos. 